Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. We are here for another conversation with a really well-known and very, very clever SEO. I've got Brennan Bliss from Propelic. G'day, Brennan. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Going really well. I'm going to come at you in a moment with a big question, but before I do, I know there's the opener that says all this stuff, but we do this every two weeks. We've got the world's leading SEO minds, educators, people from big brands. Now, Brennan, I actually know through Austin and just you know through the local business community here, and I've been so keen to pick his brain on his journey because it is quite different to many of the other people I've had on this show. Before we get there though, Brennan, I've got to ask you one question that I ask every SEO that comes on this show. Tell me, what do you feel is the number one biggest challenge facing SEOs in 2020, let's say 2023? I would say the biggest challenge that has, it's not new. It's, it's the lack of transparency and all of the best practice decision-making that everybody's doing, even though there's algorithm updates every three months and, and smaller ones every day, we're still using the same best practices as we were using six years ago. It blows mm. my mind. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, that comes back to even just like the term best practice, like what everyone else is doing as opposed to yeah. you know, innovation and thinking ahead. Exactly. Yeah. One of our core values is lead the pack. And when I think about leading the pack, it's, it's a concept of how can we make decisions differently? How can we use data to make decisions and check what's working today versus using that list that we're getting from search engine journal that was written in 2019 or 2018 when there was a completely different search landscape. And they've just updated a couple of words on it to just give it a little refresh. Yeah, but it's the same. They update yeah. the year. They update <laughs> the year. <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right, Brennan. So we're going to talk today about your journey. You've been a, a US search winner. You guys just won another one. Is that right? Yeah, we won another two weeks ago. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Good job. Won one yourself as well. You've got a framework, the organic visibility framework I want to get into. Your agency has, has gone through some changes as well. But I, I'd, I'd love to sort of start back at the very start because I know you started this young. Not that you're, you know that long in the tooth right now, but you know, how did you first get into marketing? Can you, can you talk about your first sort of foray into marketing? What a, what a weird story. Okay. So 13 years old, sitting in the back of a middle school classroom, trying to figure out how to make money. Also add to this, I didn't have a social life. I didn't have many friends. I was bullied a lot growing up, but I, I did have a mother that had a speech pathology business and I got her to pay me $1,300 to build a website for it. Um, and that was the least money per, dollars per hour I have ever made in my life, but the most rewarding because I went and spent the entire summer building a website. And then I was hooked. I said, I want to build more websites. So I started going and soliciting the parents of students that went to the school that I went to, um, who owned businesses. And I got, I did websites for them, but then I ran, ran out of them and I had to get clients somehow. So I taught myself SEO and that was really the beginning of it. When I taught myself SEO to get more web design clients, because you know, who started calling Companies like Cisco, companies like the college football playoffs. There was nobody who knew. I was 16 years old at the time. Um, and we signed contracts like for websites 
And then I said, wow, this SEO thing is super powerful. We're going to start doing this. And we started doing that. And I hired my first employee and 17 years old. That was now seven years ago. So with the SEO stuff, like that's interesting that you you literally just started doing the SEO to sell more websites. So that was your passion yeah. originally, the website design. Yeah. Well, well, it was just what made sense. It was the only thing. I mean, it was the only... I was just filling my time. I could have I could have been not paid for it and still done it. It was just and and I wasn't a genius programmer or anything. I was a, a drag and drop, make it pretty. Goodness gracious, the number of plugins that I put on those websites makes me lose <laughs> sleep at night. But yeah, that's that was about it. All right, so you've done the website thing, SEO to bring on more website clients. That's going well. Actually, before, I'm, I'm curious about some of the clients you've worked with, so we'll get to that. But what I'm more curious about is like, what was it about SEO that you went, actually, I don't mind this. You know, from a business standpoint, the recurring revenue model was nice. But from the impact standpoint, a website, it's all about what you feel. It's about, does it look good? Does I mean, obviously, the more sophisticated you get, the more it becomes about data. But the websites I was doing, it was about, oh, I don't feel like I like this. I don't feel like this is right. With SEO, it's are you generating money from the work that you're doing? And you can prove value so easily. Not as easily as paid ads because that's one click turning into one conversion. But this is, you look at a traffic graph that's gone from 20,000 to 400, 500,000 a month in two and a half years, which we've done with one of our clients, Thrifty Traveler, and it it's compelling and it justifies the work. I mean, we've gotten to see their team triple in size as a result of the work that we've done, which is super exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. So then in terms of like putting your own stamp on what you do SEO wise, I want to get into like your framework and bits and pieces there. But you've made a shift. So the agency's changed, changed name. And I know, you know, really, really focused on the travel space now. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Were you already doing work in that space? And you thought, okay, well, we know this, we know this space really well. Yeah, I'd like to say it was the most practical decision I've ever made, but it was exactly, absolutely not. I love travel. I love the idea that there's this sector of the market that allows you to change people's lives and give them the opportunity to think more worldly and diverse views. And that's travel. We had one client in travel when we made this decision. One, 15% of our revenue. Um, scariest decision I made in my life. Going from SEO for everybody to SEO for travel and tourism. Also the best decision I've ever made in my business. So we went through the rebrand before we decided to do the repositioning. Um, I happened to fly small planes and I just said, I like planes, let's do Propellic because propellers, that's not actually how it happened, but that's the story. I worked with a very good friend of mine who's a brand consultant and runs a branding firm, but there's a lot of reasons that we chose that. And then in the end we said, okay, now we either keep doing what we're doing or do something different. You know, the, there's a, uh, <laughs> the term log jam comes from when you, you know, they used to ship logs down the Mississippi or whatever river with just throwing the logs in the river. Yeah. And when they all get stuck, that's where you get a log jam. And the way that they fixed that was with a stick of dynamite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we decided to throw some dynamite in and it's that's been working. Cool. And you obviously that one client you were working with, you must have enjoyed the work. Like if you did Oh yeah. Yeah. Fantastic client. Yeah. We've been with them for three years. That that's the thirty traveler client that I mentioned. Yep. Yep. So how does how does travel SEO differ? Like I guess it's it's I mean, any vertical of SEO, you're getting into the mindset of the searcher. So do yeah. you, do you feel like there's you know a something about the way you guys do SEO that you think sort of suits that search more? Well, let's, let's get into, yeah, let's, let's answer this in two ways. Just yeah. what you're saying. Number one, getting into the mind of the searcher. We talk about a four phase buyer process for micro uh, events, micro 
conversions that happen or micro uh, experiences that happen throughout the, the traveler buying process, which is, again, like most Americans do this several times a year. And the first one is dreaming. Where do we want to go? What do we want to do? Getting intrigued. Second one is planning, looking for what you're going to do when you're there or um, what flights you're going to book or what day you're going to leave. The third is booking. It's when I've decided where I want to go, what transportation I'm going to use, and I'm buying it. And then the last is experiencing. It's when you're there, what you're doing. And, you know, best restaurant near me, for instance, is an experiencing search term. And our, our work as SEOs in travel and tourism is to understand those distinct stages and target them to make sure that we're answering to every stage of the funnel, every stage of the traveler research process, but also focus in on those moments where we can actually make money because the travel research process is such a long process. So, you know, we recommend 65% of content be focused on the planning phase when someone's actively looking for what to do when they're looking at a destination. For tours and activities, for instance, you put 20% of content in the experiencing phase because a good chunk of tours and activities get booked the day of because um, it's funny. People will, will, will plan their, their trip a year in advance and not book what they're actually going to do when they're there until the day before or two days before. Yeah. It's hilarious. So that's one thing. The other is understanding the players. So if you're in you know software, you know that there's G2, you know there's softwareadvice.com. Well, just like that in travel and tourism, we know that there's distributors. We know that there's... TripAdvisor, we know that there's Viator, we know that there's Expedia, we know that there's Airbnb and Airbnb activities. And with that knowledge, we know that SEO has to be more profitable than the 15% we'd be paying them to get those bookings. Because if we can do SEO at 14% the cost, we're making 1% additional margin. So there's there's a lot of conceptual things that really help with understanding um, and, and being in travel for for travel businesses. For sure. That's so interesting. I'd love to just touch on that for a moment in terms of like the, just the competitive landscape that they're in, all those giants that you've just mentioned, right? Are, are clients coming to you wanting to outrank them for like unrealistic terms? How much of it is education? How much of it is you finding opportunities in a search landscape that, that are achievable versus, yeah. you know, like a, versus finding that with the client? I'm curious like what, how that that conversation goes. We, we found a fairly sophisticated segment of the market, which is distributors, people who sell other people's travel inventory. So think Viator, for instance, we don't work with them as a tier one. We work with some that are uh, climbing up there, but not there. Um, and uh, those companies, they're just marketing agencies. They don't do any operations. I mean, they obviously have operations, but they're not operating tours. They're not operating hotels. Their goal is to sell other inventory, Right. Um, so take our, uh, I mean, we, um, I, I was about to mention the name, but realized that the rest of the story would probably be not preferred by the client for me to share it. So I'm not going to mention the name and then I'll tell the story because that's okay. more, more meaningful than telling you the client. But we work with a company that spends $5 million a month on paid advertising for very, very bottom of the funnel keywords for hotel bookings. And that company has no brand because all they're doing is someone searching for the Marriott Midtown Atlanta, for instance, targeting that room with paid, getting a commission, getting a little spread on it. They know, and they're, they're sophisticated from an SEO standpoint, right? They just don't do it because paid is such an easy reward system. There, I'm, I'm not really, it, there's not as much education. The education really comes in the conversation about using data versus best practices. Mm -hmm. um, that's the hard part for people to grasp. And that's partially our fault for not explaining it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So tell me about the organic visibility framework. Is that what you've just sort of walked me through now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a direct transition. I mean, it's, it is it is the data-driven SEO process. It's for every keyword we target, let's run a statistical analysis and see exactly what's at play today and search for that target keyword. And it's a fundamental system. I mean, it's, it's a foundational system that starts with really aggressive technical sprints to make sure that there's nothing in the way and then focusing on optimizing for for what's working based on our statistical analysis. And then finally, when there's nothing left to do, building authority, digital PR, link building. So it's it's the things that you typically find in SEO. It's just a different order and it is progressive. It's also data-driven. So it's, um, it's, it's an interesting approach. Yeah, the digital PR side of that. So are you working with like their PR or is that actually you doing the, the, you know, the story building, the news outreach, the. Yeah. So I, I wish it was as digital PR as I make it sound. It really is just link building. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's just the fancy word I use for it. So we're not doing story building. We don't do the actual PR side of things, but we, we will pitch links for sure. Mm-hmm. So you, you're in the travel space now. sounds like you've really, I mean, you've obviously got a really good handle on, on that search's journey and you understand the landscape. So what are some of the key things you're looking at with the types of clients that you want to work with? Hmm. In what respect? So like, is there a certain, I guess like within that business, is there a size of that business? Is there a trajectory of where they're going? Is there a business model that works best for you? The companies that we work best with are, they have a director of marketing with budgetary control because Without that, there's too much doubt. They have a pre-established SEO um, goal. We're not convincing them that SEO is the right thing. They know that it's going to be helpful for them. So that's those are the two like firmographics for the role of, of what their concept around SEO is, is that they have someone that is not the owner that controls investment and marketing. Mm-hmm. And then they have a, they, they can see a path to SEO being a meaningful channel for them. Mm-hmm. That's so those things. Then on top of that, I mean, just looking at the things that we filter through in Zoom Info, travel and tourism, United States, typically 25 to 300 employees and have traffic, but really, really, really are too reliant on paid. The companies that are too reliant on paid are our best clients because we're really, really trying to stabilize their businesses, which is a meaningful crusade. Especially in that space where you have got all those really big players who are eating up so much of the search through, you know, performance ads at the top of search. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, those two to four positions that you get from ads. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are 12, 12 rankings on a good search engine results page, three on a bad search engine results page, depending on what features are on it. And you can compete with them with paid or organic. Both are good, but neither is good on its own. So what sort of resources do clients usually have? Like that I normally have an SEO team and how does that relationship work? Who's your main contact and what's that working relationship look like usually? It's funny. Um, last, we just onboarded a new client and the client said, we're going to hire someone to manage this campaign with you. Yeah. And I just thought that was so interesting that they were going to hire an internal resource right after they brought on an agency, which I was, I don't know how I feel about it, but I think it's, it's, we'll see. Will but you know, have, generally. Will you have enough work for them? <laughs> like if that's I don't their... think so. That's the thing. I don't think so. I think that that's, I think a marketing director is a fantastic role to work with an agency. A CMO is too high level if it's truly a CMO. A company with 20 people does not need a CMO. So if you have a CMO in a company of 20 people, unless you're a really senior person and have a lot of talent, that's generally not what I mean. What I mean is director marketing, five to 15 years of experience in marketing is who's on the other side. 
rarely the operator of the business, but there are very few situations in which it actually does make sense to have it be the operator. And those are situations in which SEO truly is their core strategy of growth, which is the case for most news media sites and and, and sites like um, 10X Traveler and Thrifty Traveler and The Point Sky, all these sites that, that publish content to be visible in mm-hmm. search, their primary channel. So what are the actions that you usually take in that first 90 days? Is it the, you mentioned the technical sprints um, within the framework? Yeah, yeah. Is that like that first 90 days, what, what does it look like? You've just onboarded the client now recently. How are you planning that out? Nothing until they ask for something. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so essentially what the first first 45 days is, is it's seven different distinct deliverables that cover very, very aggressively a baseline of where they're starting from. That's the least, least important for the client, most important for us to know where we're starting from. We move into a page-by-page analysis um, using data from six different data sources to understand and identify exactly what needs to happen with each page on the website. The next step is a thorough technical analysis followed by keyword research for pages that currently exist on the website, as well as a competitive keyword research analysis. And what that's telling us essentially is what are the opportunities your competitors are going after after that you're not? Then we move into optimizing the existing content on the site, both both sales pages and also um, also content that is uh, more topically focused, more um, blog and resource focused. And then finally, finally, um, editorial calendar building based on those those keyword research projects. But the most interesting thing is for sites that have multiple pages that all have the same template. In that first sprint, we'll run a statistical analysis on the template by checking 30 of those pages, 30 of the pages, as long as there's 100 plus to get a representative sample of templated pages, find the trends across what is important in search for all of those 30, and then make changes to the template level. And that is the by far biggest impact that we can make. In terms of, you mentioned then like the, the content calendar and that type of thing, like are you guys producing copy and content for them or is that with their team or how does that work? We have tried to produce content once and it went miserably. <laughs> we use our, our data to make outlines and our clients follow our outlines or third-party writers follow the outlines. Mm-hmm. Generally what we found is that when you put SEO and content together, the content style speaks louder than the SEO quality of the content. And you get people that are dissatisfied with, it's just like web design. You get people that are dissatisfied with the feel, but don't really, they're not really looking at what's underlying it. And I just wanted to separate that. So we don't do content. That's interesting. I guess what you like the a common theme here is that sort of the creative element where there's like a discretionary, you know, feel yeah. to it, as opposed to here is what is best going to populate these pages. Here's the keywords, here's the length, etc. You go do that. And yeah. then have someone else from your perspective too, it makes for a much more efficient like relationship with the client. And then if they're not happy with their writer, they don't have to choose another agency to do their SEO. They just choose another writer. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So talk to me about the planning process with clients. Like are you uh what you know, what sort of forecasting? I always find it interesting the different types of forecasting. I remember I had Eli Swartz on and G'day Eli if you're listening. And he is a big proponent of what does he call it? Top down rather than bottom up. So he looks at like total addressable market and then he starts there with that number and then he looks mm-hmm. at who's currently there and then he basically tries to carve out, okay, well, I reckon we can get 10% of that total addressable market within the next, oh, he doesn't even necessarily put a time frame on it. Like he just, he thinks, um, if I'm reading between the lines, it's like if SEO is a race to page one or to position one, why do you ever stop? You know what I mean? So yeah. his forecasting is more about, okay, 
if the size of that total addressable market changes, okay, cool. Then the goal changes, but otherwise it really is just an ongoing thing. And so, but then you've got forecasters who are very much, okay, well, you know, these keywords, this much volume, this percentage of that volume. And then you're literally telling it all up and you're coming back with a number. Yeah. So, I literally did that today. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> we clear the second camp. I'd look at the actual keywords. I look at their clickstream data search volume, which mm-hmm. is just an estimate, but it still is representative. And then I will estimate based on average click-through rates specific to our industry, travel and tourism, and then average conversion rate, which is about 1.8 to 2% for travel and tourism, and uh, average transaction value, which is generally the number of people typically booked on a tour for a tour operator multiplied by the cost of the tour. And then alternatively, if it's a hotel, for instance, I look at their average daily rate, or if it's an airline, I look at their average booking price. There's There's all different terms, but it's a factor of let's get the total of all of the marketable keywords, assign estimated conversion rates to them based on their intent, multiply that by the click-through rate for those individual keywords, and then by the revenue estimate for that keyword. Cool. And then total it all up. So you're very much coming at it from a, you're an entrepreneur, you're like business first. And it's like, okay, if I'm selling to me, tell me what it's going to cost me and what I can, you know, what the data says I should expect to get back. Today, I talked to somebody and I was like, you can only make $20,000 a year in top line from this and you're only generating a 10% margin. That's $2,200. How much are you willing to pay for that? Yeah. And he said 1000 And I said, I think that's too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lo, lo and behold, we're not working together now. <laughs> no, I hear, I hear you. I have the same conversation with people and our, our formula is a little, a little bit different to yours, but it is pretty much like, to me, it's math. Like either this makes mathematical sense to do this or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, because you know, we're too expensive because search just isn't viable for you. We're both going to sleep better at night. If we just like put that out on the table now. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a volume compared to, to average transaction value conversation. So if you have 10 searches a month for something that costs $20, don't even touch it. If you've got 5,000 searches a month for something that costs $20, consider it. If you've got 50,000, it's probably worth it. Conversely, if you have, 500 searches a month for something that costs $10,000. Holy God, go for it. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome, I mean, that's there. That That's basically what I mean. It's kind of qualitative. You can just look at it and know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. So specific to the travel and transportation industries, what are the biggest hurdles that you you face consistently with clients? Like I, I think when, when, you, when you said you're going into travel, I remember thinking, wow, some big players in that space. That's a, you know, that's an interesting choice. Like to me, that's a, that could be seen as a hurdle, but what do you think? What are the biggest hurdles? I think the biggest hurdles in travel and tourism for the client is online travel agencies. If they're a tour operator and if they're an online travel agency, the biggest hurdle is the tour operators because they're all competing for their margin and they want, and, and the, the online travel agencies are performing better. Um, for distributors. Tourism is scary because we saw what happened in 2020, but it, we also see what's happening right now. Look at the population. It's so resilient that tourism is one of the only categories of the market that's really kicking butt still. Hotel rooms in New York that typically are $120 a night or $1,000 a night in December. I know this because I've decided to change my plans and not go to New York in December. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That, that's math again. Makes sense. Airlines are, airplanes are full. And again, I mean, there's a pilot shortage, but, but things that don't have inventory restraints, at least like they're not fluctuating inventory restraints or, or hotels and you track hotel prices, travel is killing it right now. And there's no sign of it stopping. But I would say the hurdle is the, the reliance on consumer behavior outside of weird times like today. And then also people are purchasing differently. We're moving away specifically in hotels and maybe flights from people saying, okay, I want this specific junior suite. 
It's no, I want a room that has a coffee machine in it. I want a room that has a shower and a bath. It's called attribute based shopping. That's going to be really interesting how that affects organic that's search. That's interesting because it requires user interaction to select something and to build something. And that's just going to have a profound impact for those products. I mean, you're going to, you, we're not going to have, it's not like faceted search that you have on Amazon or that you have somewhere else. It's typically quiz based and that is not crawlable. So that's going to be weird. I'm curious to see how that plays out. So as that, that's such an interesting just train of thought. So as, I mean, travelers, they're getting, they're getting fussier, they're getting more specific about what they want. And I guess, you know, sites need to answer that. So then are you providing that type of feedback? Like in terms of this is what, you know, a tiny little portion of what we can see now, but we can see, you know, projecting into 23, 24, 25. Are you giving that feedback to your clients that, you know, these are things you need to consider in terms of content, in terms of just quality in your site? Yeah. You know, I think what's going to happen is people want to go to a unique one page experience. So American Express is, is a testing that they, I think they made an acquisition of a company called Moby. I'm not sure if they acquired it or are partnered or how they're doing it. I haven't looked into the deal data, but what I do know is you can log into American Express and say, I want to go to New York and then give it preferences and it'll build a trip for you based on those preferences, breakfast, lunch, dinner, tours, flights, hotel, transport, ground transportation, everything. And you can click buy now and all the reservations are booked. All of the travel is booked. And that's not like someone curating a trip. That's not a tour company going and making deals with individual vendors and making connections with trains and making group purchases. This is just happening direct with no, no meaningfully large margins. There may be a 7% margin or a 10% margin on those bookings. And what that's taking out is the content. It's taking out the research process. And that's one of the concerns I have is that if, 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 if travel goes down that route entirely and people are just booking within platforms and you just do hotels, you just do airlines, or you just do tours and activities or a specific tour and activity that might not put you in a great place from a search standpoint. I don't think I answered your question, but I answered a different question you may have asked. <laughs> I don't know. It was just interesting nonetheless. Honestly, I was just thinking about how as a marketer, you're always going to do just a much better, more thorough, deeper job with something that you're passionate about to the point where mm -hmm. when you're working on a product that you're not passionate about, I've spoken to, you know, met, like my favorite copywriter back in Australia, he used to write the driest, like he used to work on all of our technical campaigns and it was yeah. some of it was just incredibly dry. You'd have to read through, you know, medical journals <laughs> and legislation and stuff. And I'd be like, Hey, Chris, how do you write such interesting long form content on such boring stuff? And he was like, I literally just have to fool myself into thinking that I'm passionate about it. I just read so much that I think I know more than anyone about this. And it actually becomes kind of interesting, but my mind is there anyway, because I obviously like travel is something you're quite passionate about and something which, you know, you live and breathe. So mm -hmm. that can only be a positive for, you know, for campaigns and for understanding where the landscape's going. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Just one sort of little tactical question I always like to ask, and then I'll get into my Vox pop, but in terms of, the non-obvious software tools. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not talking screaming frog or SEMrush or Ahrefs or anything like that, but are there any non-obvious tools that, that you or your team like to use like a, a plugin? Yeah. yeah. There's a tool called correlate anything. And essentially what it does is you can look at position one, position two, position three on an X axis and then a Y axis, put any factor. So, how many times does X or Y like, so like we were trying to figure out if there's a statistical correlation between having a product URL, like slash product slash product name 
for a, a deliverable we're, we're doing today. And we wanted to see if having that in the URL impacts rankings. And we scrape the top 100 rankings and then select the ones that have slash P or slash product or slash store in them. Mm-hmm. And check those as true and check the ones that don't as false and run the algorithm. And we can see if there's a statistical correlation between having product in the URL and ranking. How interesting. Super nutty. Another one is, is called Page Optimizer Pro, which just brings some data into content writing. Disclaimer, I know the owner of that software personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I do not get any payback from it <laughs> as, much as, I, as much business as I send that way. And then Pitchbox for link building. That first one you mentioned, I just, I reckon there's quite a few Shopify people who are like cringing right now. Please don't let that correlation be. Yeah, here's the weird thing. We did it on a Shopify site yesterday and that there is not a correlation yet. My SEO strategist still is recommending it with that caveat that there's no correlation. So it's anecdotal. It's, it's, it's like more of a, this feels right, but we can't prove it conversation to the client. So take, do it, proceed with, with caution. I'm going to fire off now with a quick Vox Pops. I'll throw a question at you. We're going to have some funny music going over the background. You just need to come up with the first thing that pops into your mind. You can give a little explainer if you like, but we, we tend to move through them pretty quick. Cool. All right, ready, set. Which previous Google algorithm change still keeps you up at night? The next one. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Gun to your head. Which do you prefer, content or links? Content. Hard content. What's the most effective link building technique that you've used? Good content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Is the skyscraper technique still relevant today? If it's good content, yes. If it's serving a purpose and it is is not like, don't write a long post to write a long post. If it's like, what is the weather in Nashville? Don't write a 4,000 word post. Nobody wants that. I think if it's good content, it's good content. If people are still asking it, if there's still a query out there and you can provide a better answer. Anyway, what do you love most about SEO? Oh, I love that we can impact so many different businesses. I mean, like you can choose your segment of the market and say, just like you do with e-commerce or and, and, and retail and the work that you do, it's like, this is who I want to help and, and it's applicable across it. So if someone comes from a different market and looks for help, you can say, yeah, this is kind of, you do X, Y, and Z, but it's just, it's, it is something that feels good, is good, and we can get paid for. How do you apply SEO principles to your daily life? Quality. Got it. Quality. Quality, not quantity. I guess that comes in friends, relationships, uh, experiences, money, everything. Quality, not quantity. Uh, work from home life or office life or hybrid life? What's your choice? Yeah, I hate it all. I hate it all. <laughs> uh, there's, there's drawbacks to all of them. I personally love being around people, but also I need to be alone to do work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've found is best is if I can go to a room that's empty that's not in my house. Okay. SEMrush or Ahrefs? Ahrefs. Last one, agency or in-house or combo? What do you reckon is the winner there? The the magic that comes from when you connect the two together is powerful. Um, when they trust each other and they're facilitating and helping each other grow, that's the most powerful mix that I've seen. Outside of that, agency, because you can reach more people and do and and you know and have an impact on more organizations. I think also the magic of combo is you've got a team at their end, like on your ideally if it's going well, on your team mm-hmm. trying to push through whatever needs to get implemented, you know, as opposed to you pushing in from the outside. It's just adding resources. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Brennan, that was unreal. We didn't even touch on, we started at your web design agency, but you were doing online stuff before that, were you not? 
I did YouTube for a little while. I don't yeah, want to yeah. talk about it very much. <laughs> oh, no worries, no worries. Thanks so much. That's, that was awesome. Lots of really cool intel just around working and travel. And I think just for people looking to sort of nail down on a vertical, like just getting an understanding of how to get in that mindset and, you know, how to, how to really kind of narrow in on that. So um, yeah. how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Uh, email me. Brennan at propelic.com, B-R-E-N-N-E-N at P-R-O-P-E-L-L-I-C.com or Brennan Bliss on LinkedIn. Excellent. Cool. Thank you, Brennan. Well, uh, that's been another episode of SEO Success Stories. If you've enjoyed it, please jump on, write us a review, hit up Brennan, and uh, I'll be back in two weeks' time for another SEO Success Stories. Thanks again, Brennan. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate it.